0: All right, everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Weekly Roundup. Um, I'm your co-host, Mike Iblito, and I am joined, as always, by the one and only Tyler Neville. What's going on, Tyler?
1: I didn't get an adjective. I what, know. What's the adjective?
0: I know. I'm sorry, buddy. You know, it's a special introduction because this is a special Weekly Roundup. Uh, mm-hmm. Bittersweet here. We got a little bit of an announcement. Um, Tyler, this is your last episode as the co-host of On the Margin, the Weekly Roundup show's not mm-hmm. going anywhere we've got uh, no one can replace you we've got a great uh, new co-host coming next week but yeah. man i am gonna miss you buddy this has been a ton of fun so talk sure, to us yeah. a little bit what, what are you uh tell the audience what are you going to do
1: well first off the the co-host you're replacing me with is an upgrade so Number one oh, uh, Tyler Tyler you, you guys something to look forward to <laughs> And, and uh, secondly, I am going back into the asset management industry, which I swore I wouldn't do, but this situation was too good to be true and um, yeah it's a guy I admired the way he's ran money for years and years and his name's Mark Hart from Coriente um really has been ahead of the game on pretty much every big macro secular turn, you know, <laughs> for the past 20 years. So um, excited to really learn from him and uh, really, you know, just, just uh, do stuff differently. And he was in Bitcoin back in 2015 before Stan Druckenmiller, you know, all these guys, he, he was thinking differently. So um, that's where I'm headed, but I will miss this BlockWorks crew and uh these weekly roundups man i know buddy i'm
0: gonna we're gonna miss you too i gotta say the that team corrientes i don't i've never met mark i did watch that interview that he sent to me back in like 2015 2016 it was like wow literally everything this guy said came to pass and i met worth who's also at the fun at our Bretton woods event what a guy what? Oh my God! Yeah. We got to play golf together. There's some good pictures of that. You should look them up on LinkedIn. But uh, <laughs> he, you know, what? A, I mean, first of all, wickedly smart guy, but also just seems they seem like great people. So bittersweet oh, yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna miss you, buddy, but excited for you
1: too. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, worth of something else. That guy's like a walking uh, financial history book. Yes, he, he really is. nails like, you know, all the big big geopolitical turns uh in the market so
0: I'm looking for I think lot. he recommended like four bucks when we we're playing golf I was like you gotta text these to me yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah, I'm not gonna remember <laughs> all these a
1: books a or something it's crazy
0: <laughs> it's wild all right guys let's well let's get into it uh this week we got a good uh final show with Tyler here for you um I'm gonna just share my screen here that's yes. all right uh starting off with wages by industry so we're looking at wages uh by sector we're looking at construction uh, driving, food preparation and service, production and manufacturing. Uh, and basically, you can see everything is just rising. <laughs> it's, it's just a straight up and to the right uh, chart. It looks like they didn't really put much um, white collar work here as well. But I would uh, hazard a guess that that would be in the exact same category. Uh, what do you make of this, Tyler?
1: Yeah, this is the capital to the labor type transition. It always happens uh, after big, you know, pivotal points like the pandemic. And I think people are realizing, holy crap, this might be here to stay. It's a political issue Mm -hmm. at this point. I think the cat's out of the bag that, you know, from 1940 to 1980, wages rose like a factor of 13x. And from 1980 to now, it's only gone up like, I think, 200%. So wages are now increasing. It's becoming a political issue. And I think it's probably here to stay.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, this is also a big um, you know, feather in the cap of, of the inflationistas out there because kind of the two things that weren't happening, right, in addition to the, the money printing was um, we didn't see velocity of money change and we weren't seeing wage growth. So wage growth is kind of, it, that's, that really needs to happen for there to be secular inflation. So mm-hmm. this, it, this looks like it's pointing towards something longer term here, for sure, at if this trend keeps up. Um,
1: the thing about wages too is like you know it can't be transitory inflation on wages there's something very psychological when wages rise you can't really pay someone lower like that's sort of the whole impetus of the american system uh is like wages don't really go down much
0: they 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 can't uh i don't there's a guy scott galloway he's um host of a, a co-host of pivot podcast. I know some of you might know him. Uh, and he said this thing that always stuck with me is he said it like two or three years ago in a podcast, but it's far and away easier to fire someone than try, to try to pay them less. Yeah, uh, you should never, never even try. Um, so yeah, uh, that yeah. really stuck with me, but I've uh, seen them
1: first <laughs> firsthand and it kills corporate culture it is like, when you try to pay someone down, it's like sabotaging the rest of the group yeah
0: i'm I'm sure i mean it's just a psychological thing like no one likes to feel like they're making backwards progress so mm-hmm. i mean this is locking in a higher cost structure i agree to uh, i think this is going to end up being a political issue but uh yeah certainly pointing towards the idea uh that we could be entering an environment of inflation um mm-hmm. this was a really interesting chart i'm actually not sure where you got this but you were the one who showed this to me so talk to yeah. me a little bit about what we're looking at here
1: i think i might have saw this in axios or the information but what really struck me was the increase, basically, uh, how do you address the labor shortage as a corporation and rising wages? Right. And you know that big chart on the left, increase investment in technology and automation. And I read this article about Jeff Bezos from The Information. Basically, he found this company that could automate, I think, putting packages into boxes and like it would save so much labor costs. And... <laughs> I was just shocked. He wanted to buy this company. And then the the guy who ran the company, I think said like, well, you're going to annihilate like millions of jobs if you do this. Yeah. (laughs) And there was this big back and forth. But the point is, is that we're now at this crazy pivot point in, in society where you, you can automate and UBI is going to become like a real thing at this point, I think. Because there was even, who was the company that just bought, it was like um, a salad company. What was it? What's it called? They just bought an automated like factory line of salad producers. Like that mm. stuff is here now. And because labor costs are probably going to be rising politically, you're going to have to choose. And this this shows that like automation is going to be probably the choice.
0: Yeah. This is, I mean, this is really the Jeff Booth argument right here. Um and mm-hmm. you're seeing this backed up, uh, by whoever responded to this survey. But yeah, I mean, I guess I, I you know, when I was kind of thinking about it before it's like, you know, there's only so much automation you can really do right with today's constraints uh, as, like, you can't outsource, you know, retail, uh, you know, like floor people or whatever, you still need people walking around like a banana Republic or whatever, right? You can't outsource that to, to China. Um, but. You know, like I go to Sweet Green all the time. You know, there's a bunch Sweet of people Green. behind the counter. There. That was it.
1: Yeah, That was it? Yeah. Was the all right. Well, with Sweetgreen. Yes. And they bought like an automated like factory line thing. Yeah. So it's like, could you automate that?
0: Probably. <laughs> or, or you could at least reduce the labor by half for sure. Um, if there was significant investment in automation. So. Kinda of scary yeah. at the same time.
1: Like it's, what what do we do scary. psychologically? We'll get to the the last chart of this it was really fascinating, but like psychologically, if people are not working, what they need a purpose. Like you are you gonna have rates yeah. of depression that just goes skyrocketing? I have see that's
0: where I'm not sure because at the end of the day, I mean if you look at the middle class that was built in the US, it was built on you know there was like the industrial revolution right and we had all those kind of factories and manufacturing jobs were, were key here and there was never a huge amount of technical know-how that was needed from like floor workers in a factory right like that, that was basically something that looked like manual labor the implication here is that we don't want to pay for that anymore that's commoditized we have machines now so but what can you just retrain the entire nation essentially to be computer programmers because if you listen to silicon valley right like that's what they tell you to do mm-hmm. um i'm just not sure that's realistic i'm just not sure like i could not if someone was like hey mike 80 percent of jobs now are, are in a technical field i'd be like i don't know what to do i'm not technical you see how cool. long it took me to get this powerpoint working it just wouldn't work for me uh so i'm not i just i'm not really sure what the solution here is but
1: it's you know sorry. what i think the the lead is is you know here's a good story my last fund the guy was like we, we really need you to dig into like, you know, programming and like, you know, the algos and figure out how to like uh, trade using like algos and be futuristic. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to be programming algorithms. Like who <laughs> are you kidding? You know, like I'm so far behind versus the MIT kid, like coming out of college, like go hire him. Like, and so that's part of the impetus. I jumped to, to um, uh, financial media. But like, you have to differentiate, um, in, in this stuff. So that's such a funny, like
0: manager thing to say, like, yeah, we need, we need you to pick up, uh, algorithms.
1: Like, can you, can yeah. you dig
0: into that? Like, I'm like, I see the macro sure. really just well. figure out
1: algorithms. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't program SQL. Sorry, bro.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good luck. All right. So here's another interesting chart. You showed me this one as well. Talk to me about what we have going on here.
1: Okay, so I've seen this one going around the, the the Twitterverse. Bank of America did a really good one uh, on this. And this shows margin debt actually you know falling a little bit. And the 12-month rate of change on the margin debt, when that rolls over, that generally signals kind of a top in the S&P if you look back historically. Um, we'll see if this rings true. It's a little bit of a bear porn chart where, you know, you'd, think the S&P has impending doom. But um, I don't know, maybe it it could look like 2014, 2015, where margin debt pulled back a little bit, you know, reset, and then we set out to new highs, right? So that could, that's probably, I think, the the most likely analog, but could it also be 2007? We'll see. If the Fed really like reverses course fast, it probably could be, but I doubt that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that as well. when we talk about uh, the obligatory analysis on <laughs> Jerome Powell's speech uh, from today. But, you know, when you're, when you're looking at I guess my question to you looking at this would be timeline of these pullbacks. Right. So obviously, 2007, 2008, that was a major pullback. We have a name for that pullback, the great financial crisis. So usually when you start to see this pattern emerge, like, does this point to like a 2007 style recession or could it be a more minor type pullback or like what should people be expecting?
1: Yeah, I mean like look, when you get to these extremes 2000, 2007, you know, it, it it's pretty severe pullback, but I I just think we might be in a whole new regime. You know, regime. MM, MMT is here. Like you have 11 trillion of fiscal and 8 trillion dollar balance sheet. Like if you have any big hiccup in a generational backdrop where boomers are now like exiting, they need their, their retirements, pensions need to get paid, they're seventy percent funded in the US. Like I think it's really politically hard to pull that out at this point. Unless like yeah. the inflation gets so aggressive on the commodity front where food prices start getting out of hand. That's when I think you really need to tighten. But like I don't think we're there just yet
0: where i mean you i feel like are shifting more and more bullish these days ever since that uh, that brian reynolds interview that you did where where do you kind of shake out i mean do you subscribe are you on this like von von Mises crack up boom type argument is it the brian reynolds uh you know there's going to be a whole new funding you know we're in that like a whole new early stage credit. of uh, credit yeah. funding and stuff like that like where, where do you kind of fall these days
1: yeah i think i'm more on the bu- the bull side just because I thought when the real in, the inflation first hit, you would see the fixed income market really sell off and then the credit spreads mm-hmm. would blow out. And we saw it a little bit and then it just receded. And like the inflation is there. Like, you know, we have 5% CPI. You would think the fixed income investors would actually like price that in a little bit, but they're not. Like the the market-based... they're they're the big fixed income investors that have to match liabilities, the life insurance companies, pensions. They're so long-term that they don't care about the temporary inflation. They're like, well, yeah, CPI is at 5% this year, but I need yield for 20 years out and I'll buy that bond no matter what because I have to put money to work. So the market-based levels of inflation are different from, I think what's happening on the ground, right? Like you're seeing price rises, you're seeing wage rises, all that stuff, but because there's so much capital and so many promises, the actual like interest rates in high yields and treasuries, they're low. So you have that negative real rate phenomenon going on and right. they're fine providing it because they need, they're mandated to buy these things. So i think that's the big discrepancy which makes me bullish on risk assets yeah i would agree with you so moving on to this next chart here uh
0: i i mean i just think this is interesting this is something you and i've talked about quite a bit uh this chart gets called the culture war capitals of the world but basically they're just polling uh different countries that have the highest share of respondents that see a great or fair amount of tension between liberals and conservatives so on this chart you know you see south korea actually at the top it's South Korea, Chile, US is third, then it's Argentina, Spain, Brazil, Peru, Mexico. You wouldn't necessarily see, you know, it's kind of, I'm not sure if you've seen that graphic where it's like the list of countries that still have corporal punishment or capital punishment, whichever one is the death penalty. It's like mm-hmm. the US, Iran, China, North Korea. It's like not a list that you would necessarily want to be on. I feel like this is a little bit in that same camp. You know, it's like, this is not really a list that we want to be on at all, let alone topping right um yeah and so I I just think it's kind of indicative I mean you can see it all around you right like I can't actually remember a time in my life where people were so divided about politics like can't even see the
1: other side at all um so you want to know my theory on this one I agree with you it's great it's it's crazy where we are but I don't think the Gap I think the Gap is closing and here's why I watched this Mm -hmm. thing it was on a. It was a small little sports company, and he talked about Rachel Nichols. Do you know Rachel Nichols? I don't. Is this she, a sports thing? She was an NBA sideline reporter for ESPN, mm. and you know she made some comments against the wolf, the woke culture, and basically like she was she she basically was had the benefit of woke culture for years and years and years, and then she got annihilated by it and now they fired her and took her show off Mm. the air and this guy basically said listen i treat everybody the same i don't care if they're black they're white hispanic asian etc and my growth rates are going through the roof and all these giant corporations have to play this like weird political game at the top and i think that's really what you're seeing is like these giant corporations are creating this polarization of, of society that doesn't really exist. It's just like, it's a media brainwashing, I think. And mm. then if you get into the smaller corporations, like say us or, or someone that's like really growing, it's giving a pretty balanced picture of what real life is. And they're playing on the, the big media game. They have to play this to get the incremental viewer. And down here, you can actually just concentrate on the topics and the content and try and make it good. So I think these are a little bit, um, these types of charts, they do show how far things are away from each other in some sense, but like, I think on the ground, if you have time to talk to one another, we're not that far apart in America, Mm -hmm. it just seems that way because the giant corporations have these crazy incentives. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I,
0: I it does. I'm like with you. I, I'm with you some somewhat. I, I my take is actually a little bit different, which is just that. Yeah, I think the real division here that doesn't necessarily show up as much, um, but it's the real factor that's causing this uh, perception of like right versus left is wealth disparity, uh, and it's it's like the one percent versus everyone else, mm-hmm. um, and it actually serves that group of elites that it manifests itself as like Republicans versus Democrats or right versus left. Um, because I think when people's lives are going well, it's like it's like that thing, I forgot Michael Jordan or something said, you know, if you're a happy person, you're not on YouTube trolling people, right? Mm-hmm. Like happy people don't do that. And I think a lot of these people, like a lot of the, the issues that gets a ton of airtime in the US now, they're like, they're important issues, but it's, come on. It's like people... The the reason why there's so much emotion behind them, I think, is because there's people different. don't feel like their lives are going particularly well. So I yeah. feel like it ha- takes on this whole life of its own. So you know, when I look at this, I mean, I know, I, I get it. If you listen to the show, like I draw a lot back to that problem. But I think this is a manifestation of that problem. And I would actually look at these countries and be like, how how is um, income disparity or wealth disparity in these countries and I don't know this but I would yeah. bet it's probably not great based on I mean, this list yeah I
1: agreed yeah
0: yeah so something to keep an eye on um all right we got a two for here we got two charts coming up uh there's a shout out to Will Beaumont who pulled these uh our researcher here macro researcher uh number of years worked for median home price so this is pretty interesting because um, I mean there's not much it's not that hard to interpret of a chart right uh back in The 70s you know it was like um about three three and a half years right that you kind of had to work uh, to to buy a home Um, and now we're up to 6.7 um which is almost an all-time high i guess the all-time high was 2008 uh, when home prices were really soaring there so yeah i mean it's again we've talked about this almost ad nauseum but i think homes being unaffordable huge uh, has huge implications on kind of the millennial and younger generations for sure yeah
1: yeah, it yeah. speaks for itself. What's crazy is we're not at 2007 heights yet. I know. Which I know. You know, if you see like mortgage rates rolling over again, like the amount of people that are going to race to buy houses is just incredible. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, th-
0: I think this chart's actually slightly more interesting. It complements that last one, um, which is the median age of U.S. home buyers. Mm-hmm. So it's up uh, from. 31 to 47, which just, that feels so old. That's crazy. Um, And even though, I mean, it's funny because you you point out that the number of years uh, to pay, the number of years you need to work to pay for a median home price, it peaked in 2007, 2008. But since the great financial crisis, the average age of someone or the median age of someone buying a home has actually increased by eight years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not really sure what to make
1: of that, actually. But um, I think. I don't know this would be interesting, but like if you are already a homeowner, you can take out equity to buy another house as the equity in your house goes up and then you can have a rental property and it pays for itself. It creates this Henry George type market where like every economic growth of the the economy goes to homeowners or landowners where Mm. as equity in your house goes up, you can just do this financial engineering thing and basically it creates a, uh, you know, an oligarchy of people who own assets and then people paying those off. So I think that's sort of what we're seeing here. Like if I, if I'm a boomer and I'm like, well, I could go buy this house or this apartment and then rent it out and have free cash flow. Why wouldn't I do that? You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what is funny about this chart too, is that this chart is really like up and to the right, uh, pretty straight. If you look at this other, the number of years worked for, median home price. I mean, that's fluctuating. And I, I would guess that's based on interest rates, right? Because you're, you're kind of bottoming out there in the 1970s when interest rates were going up and up and up. Um, so that was probably impacting the price of homes back then. But this almost looks like a bit of a U, where it's, it's just a very clear trend uh, that people are buying homes at, you know, later and later in their lives. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, Right, central bank uh qe purchases of bills and bonds in 2020 so uh we're looking at this as a share of gdp again us is third on this chart um but qe i guess it makes it looks like about 11 percent uh of gdp that we're doing in, in qe um not not a whole lot to say here other than that's a huge that's a huge number and i know guys like steve van, van meter and brent johnson would say that's not actually money printing but again the size of this program is gigantic right we're going to get into powell's speech in a little bit and um you know he he hinted at tapering later this year but we're still just talking about
1: colossally large numbers overall yeah it's it's really incredible i mean this is uh, you know what's even more incredible is that Mm. the u.s dollar hasn't rolled over with 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 all this which just shows it's 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 a giant confidence game
0: so as is everything in life, my friend, as is everything in life. Uh, speaking of Giant Confidence Games, uh, last chart for you today, it's not really a chart. Top selling CryptoPunks of the last 30 days. We are still in NFT mania. Uh, actually, it's hard for me to open my Twitter uh, because I am not participating in the NFT mania and I keep seeing all these other people <laughs> that have made so much money. Um, that uh it's just like have I, they know,
1: I don't know have they i'm curious i think they have
0: oh i mm-hmm. think this is the i think this is the make money phase of this whole thing i mean i i don't think i mean
1: it's more like how liquid I, I, is cryptopunk at 5 million bucks you
0: know so i don't think that's liquid at all i think most of the liquidity is like you probably heard like the floor price basically like the uh the, the there's i think most liquidity is actually concentrated in the the cheaper tranches of each of these—I don't, I don't even know how you describe like CryptoPunks versus the penguins yeah. versus the squiggles. Um, yeah, I think most of the liquidity is not concentrated in the really high ones, but you know, um, it's just, I, I just—I
1: just don't see. This is a little bit out there for me. I, I'm still gonna like oh. NFT is great. I ten years from now probably gonna be amazing if these people hold on to the these and don't sell. I. I then maybe they'll make money but like i have a hard time believing buying a jpeg <laughs> i mean oh you sound
0: like such a boomer dude you sound I, like I, such a boomer I, to me, listening to you say this is making me more bullish okay let me like let me the give you my rock thing come on man like give oh, me no. a break tyler tyler oh oh buddy i think you're missing it I think you're missing. All right, let me let me give you my theory about this. So I wrote the newsletter on this. How many yesterday. buyers and
1: sellers are in this market? That's what I want to know. Is so, it millions? Then maybe. If it's like ten thousand, that's a liquid market. Price is a liar. Price price is an equilibrium of liquidity, my friend. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me let me just give you
0: some perspective here. So in, in terms of like how you would value something like this, you'd have to be like, how do you value art, right? And that's like kind of a nebulous thing. People like, like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, whatever. Yeah. I think the fundamental driver of art is scarcity and the flex factor, right? It's like, look at how sophisticated I am. I picked this really good piece of art uh, and look at, I wanna show it to you, right? Like, so you can see how much money I have or how mm-hmm. good of taste I have or like whatever it is, right? That's like the core driver of it. And mm-hmm. then a direct function of that is, well, how many people can I show that to in a way that's not obvious that this is what I'm trying to do, right? So like with traditional art, you only have so many options, right? You can lend it out to a museum. if It's like a really nice piece and they want it, or mm-hmm. you can hang it in your house, right? And how many people go through your house on a, on a yearly basis? Like, I don't know. I'm not that social, not that many people. But like, if I have this NFT that I can display online and literally tens or hundreds or thousands of people can see it, it makes sense. It should be more valuable. Like the NFT market should be much larger, in my opinion, than the, the market for traditional art. So let's start there.
1: I, okay. I completely get all that. I, I 100% get all that and and agree that if the growth rates keep going. my My thing is timing. Right now, the timing, I think, yeah. is too soon. Like there's no real metaverse. Like people are talking about metaverse. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's way too okay. soon. It's okay. like I'm talking about autonomous driving. It's waiting for Godot. You know, you're like, you, know, you have this autonomous. It's the same thing where it's like, oh, it's really three years away, but it's ten years away.
0: Okay, I'm with you, but let me let me give you this theory. So I actually wrote the newsletter on exactly what you're talking about last night, and I, I want to start pushing this. I'm going to call no. this the the shitcoin liquidity vacuum. All right. So that's what I, that's what I'm calling this. this theory. So right? Let me lay it out for you. Let me lay it out for you, here, buddy. All right. So basically one of my favorite pieces ever uh, in crypto is written by this guy named Eddie Lazarin and Chris Dixon together. It's called the crypto price innovation cycle. And they just nailed it. It's like basically everything in crypto, all these cycles start with price. So as the price runs up, you start to see more mentions in like media, then that leads to new ideas. Then that leads to projects and funding and that's when it all peaks and then it all rolls over. And then like, so there are these cycles that go for like four years Mm -hmm. Um, and then it all kind of like dies down and then it all starts up again. That's why VC funding is actually an indication of it being late stage in the cycle. Mm -hmm. I would add one thing to it. Each cycle has a fundamental innovation that they're predicting the thing that is actually going to work in the next cycle, but they're just too early on it for this cycle. Like they've sniffed out what's interesting and all the hot money flows into that thing, but it's the shitty version of it. So like this was ICOs in 2017, Mm -hmm. right? ICOs and DeFi, very, very similar. The fundamental innovation behind ICOs, it's a funding mechanism. And it's Mm -hmm. this idea of ownership and users of the platform being the same thing. That was like groundbreaking stuff. The problem is in the beginning, everyone just sensed like this is a way to make money fast and it was shit and it was fraudulent mostly there were some good actors but a lot of it was really fraudulent so like all the money goes into that in the 2017 cycle Mm -hmm. but then during the next cycle we're like okay we figured out what was bad about that now we're actually going to do it and it's going to be good the problem is in the next cycle they've already figured out the next new hot thing which is nfts so it sucks up all the liquidity this is the crap version of NFTs right now, right? Yeah. That it's attracting all the money in this cycle. And then it's going to roll over. And then the next cycle, they're actually going to figure out NFTs, but it's going to be like DAOs, that everyone's just like throwing money into DAOs. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the current cycle accurately predicts what's right or what's coming in the next cycle. And it attracts a lot of investment, but it's not ready for prime time. And that is my personal theory about it, NFTs.
1: I subscribe to that. I, I cool. subscribe to that. There's, a, it's too too early. The price is, you're you're too early, which is the same thing as as being wrong, right? Like, it is. And, and yeah. I'm not saying they're they're right now, but a couple a couple months. I just I don't know. Unless unless there's so much wealth has been created where they can actually hold. Like if they if they don't try to sell, but like as soon as you do a down round, like if you think about it like a VC company. If you do a down round on these things and you sell below your price and everything gets marked to that price, that's the price cascade, especially in an illiquid market, you know, that I think we might get at some point.
0: Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm wrong.
1: Maybe the money printing will just take off and who gives a shit. We're going to the moon. So I think the final implication of this
0: theory here is what like volatility breeds maximalism. That's how you get people that is like die hard beliefs. Because if you hold an asset, if you buy something and then it goes down 80%, but then it goes up like 10X from your original buy point, you get one lesson drilled into your head and it's, I am never selling this thing. I've seen this movie before. I didn't sell when it dipped. I held on, it was the right decision. And honestly, this is, my, this is what the reason I think gold has the community that it does. Because when it went off of uh, its little peg or when Americans were allowed to earn it, like the 70s and 80s, dude, gold did like a 20X. You know, mm-hmm. so all these it, like that's why I think you have this community of gold bugs because they were like, yeah, I was there. I saw it like I got the 20x and like it just bred this like really strong idealism in people. Yeah. And, and I think what happens in crypto is, you know, some group of people clearly. Right. When Bitcoin first happened, it was nutty. You had to be insane to buy into that. It was mm-hmm. so many good reasons why it wasn't going to work. It was like the longest of all the long shots. So lots of people they watch it go up, then they watch it go down and it they held through that volatility and it bred like this is the answer. This is my freaking answer right here. Then the same thing happened with Ethereum, right? And it like and people tend to be like one step behind in the innovation cycles and it just that's this is the root I'm telling you of all the maximalism in this space um, yeah. I'm gonna stop pumping my own theories here but yeah this is uh I, I, I really I didn't think, think that's what it is
1: tangential story for you on on gold hey, I finally decided to sell my gold coins so I, really uh, yeah last so you'll, you'll laugh at this last week I go <laughs> to this salty like old gold dealer store <laughs> And I, the old gold dealer I bought these coins in like I think it was like 2014 or 2015 on like the big dip. I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I'll buy some. And I think about like ten thousand dollars worth of coins. And now they were worth like twenty thousand dollars now, but they were worth like twenty five when it hit two thousand or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I go to the store. I'm like, gold's not mimicking real rates anymore like Juri and Timur had a great tweet this morning where it basically, like it it's not keeping track with it. And he asked the question, is crypto taking market share, which I think it probably is honestly. Um, so anyway, decided to sell my, my gold coins finally. And the guy, it's like this hole in the wall place. And he, he literally hands me $20,000 in cash. And I'm like, what the hell do I do with this? And it's like two big piles I put it in my pockets and I walk out of there like, is someone going to rob me? It's like, you're off the grid brother. You're off the grid. Strip mall in Texas. And I'm like, my God. But I guess like going back to your point about like, this guy is who told me I've been doing this for 30, 30 years. And, um, he's like, it's, it's still booming the, the actual coin business, uh, the physical coin business. He was like, yeah, it's still booming even though price pulled back a little bit, but he's, he's still in that mentality of like, that's probably where he made his big dough and he's still kind of, you know, trading it. So maybe that'll be uh, NFTs in 20 years. Maybe, it, maybe it will be. I, and yeah, the, but, the, uh, the kicker to that story was I had to go, I go to bank of America to deposit the cash and uh-huh. it was closed because of the Delta variant. And So I sat at the I sat at the ATM, depositing this money through an ATM for like forty five minutes, like looking over my shoulder to make sure that no one was going to attack me. So that's that's incredible. Yeah.
0: So Benny, yeah, man. I, um...
1: That's the banking system. I, I
0: can't actually figure out how to share my screen. Again, I suck with the technology, but like, yeah, if you, if you literally just look up the historical price of gold and you'll see where it rips in like the 80s, basically, yeah. um, and then back into the age of the average person who advocates for gold. And that's the evidence of this theory. Um, yeah, but, I love that. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole generation of, of, of uh, people in, in crypto that are being created. Uh, same mm-hmm. Same thing. Howdy, guys. Excited to talk to you a little bit about this week's sponsor, Matrixport. If you're like me, you're trying to figure out how can I make my crypto go as far as it possibly can. Well, Matrixport makes it really easy to do the simple stuff like just buying and trading and you're holding your crypto on a secure platform that you don't have to worry about. But they also help you take that next step to doing things like getting loans against your crypto or earning yield on it. Talk about the yield part because for me, that earn feature is the most interesting thing that they do. Number one, first step you can start earning up to 30% APY on your USDC deposits. That's about 29.99% more than if you just kept those funds in a bank account. Talk about a no brainer. Number two, their team walked me through this. They have made accessing DeFi easy. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm the biggest Luddite on the face of the earth. If I can understand this stuff, then I promise, so can you. So don't wait. At least go check them out. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Thank me later. Uh, all right, let's get into stories of the week here. Um, so I do want to talk about Jerome Powell's address uh, in Jackson Hole this week. Um, so he, I guess highlights of that is that he did suggest that we would see tapering by End of year uh, at some point um you know previously a bunch of we were kind of getting mixed signals from other fed governors so bullard um down in st louis has been advocating it's like hey there's more inflation you know he's come out and said there's more inflation than we thought we were going to see it's been time to taper other fed governors have been more reticent i think this is the first time that jerome powell has actually come out and said we do expect to to taper by end of year uh mm-hmm. but it looked like stocks actually uh, reacted pretty pretty positively crypto's up as well Um, What do you make about all
1: this? Yeah, I think, you know, Jay Powell, everyone was pricing in a taper sooner. They got really nervous. We saw the dollar spike, you know, and Jay Powell just, he stuck to his guns of, hey, we're waiting for unemployment to drop. He mentions, you know, the, the rates of unemployment for blacks and Hispanics is up. I think... That's saying like, listen, we essentially need to make sure that these people are okay. They're dis- disenfranchised. Service, you know, people have been disenfranchised with this whole pandemic. And if we pull out too soon, then you know, they're they're gonna get hurt the most. So, I think that was his, that's his way of kind of saying like, this is good. we're gonna make sure things are back to normal before kind of like tapering too soon. Um, and all the expectations built up previously uh, were were really, really bearish and hawkish. So, yeah, um, I think that's why we're kind of rallying here uh, today and the dollar's kind of taking a dip.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have much more to add, honestly. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, good explanation. I feel almost obligated to cover it, um, but it seems like it kind of went exactly as folks were expecting,
1: honestly. Yeah. What's just funny to me is, like, every single time he speaks, even if if he did say we were going to taper, like, it's not really going to affect that much. If he said raise rates soon, you know, I feel like we've already been, like, pricing this in. Um, Yeah. So. I feel like, just in general,
0: I mean, it's almost like the, the programs that we're undertaking from a monetary and fiscal perspective are so extreme. People are starting to, like... Isn't it just making you wonder at how wild the system that we have is? Like, the entire the aggregate world economies hang on the words of one guy ev- who talks like every month. Yeah. And if he, you know, if he like appears too nervous or like says the wrong thing, then I mean shit can sell off. I mean that's that's nuts to me. I mean, maybe this is just like outsider oh, no. perspective and everyone else. It seems ludicrous that this is the system that we have.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I agree. It's, it's part of, uh, I guess, markets in general, but yeah, it's talk about centralization problem. Like this guy has way, way too much power in some, in some senses.
0: So, I mean, I guess that, that really is what it, when, when I try to describe Bitcoin to people in general, uh, it's just a different governance mechanism for money. Um, And I'm not a proponent, actually, of I I don't think we're headed towards a Bitcoin standard, most likely in the in this in the safety and a moose kind of sense of it. I think it'll be an important monetary asset. Um, I do still think you need something that looks like fiat um, to function as a medium of exchange uh, because you need some amount of like demand, uh, you know, elasticity to fit the needs of the economy. But like if you just look at how the governance structure behind money creation works today, it's clearly... Broken. I mean, I, I don't I don't really know how you'd look at it and be like, yeah, this is functioning as intended. Like no, no problems with this system.
1: I agree. And what's crazy to me is textbooks need to be rewritten. Like th- it's a political tool at this point. It's not. I agree. So <laughs> there's entire majors and you pay $200,000 a year to go to a school to learn this thing that literally is like kind of obsolete in some ways it's like- I'm surprised there wasn't a a massive
0: just rethinking or rewriting of textbooks when uh, rates went negative that should yeah. be impossible
1: right that was impossible yeah. right owning a negative yielding bond or, or issuing a negative yielding bond could be theoretically an asset because you're getting paid yeah right so
0: t- Tyler imagine when, when did negative negative nominal rates start with that post Great financial crisis So like 12 years ago
1: Um, No I think there's been Negative nominal rates Like in the 40s And stuff Like real rates you mean
0: Negative rates
1: Oh nominal rates Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. That was like 2015 2016 I think When it first
0: Imagine
1: Imagine trying to describe
0: That to someone 20 years ago That there was going to be Like 20 trillion dollars Worth of Negative 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 (laughs) rates In in the world
1: They would call you crazy
0: they would call you nuts and they'd sit you down and be like, no, you idiot, don't you understand? Why would anyone ever do that? That's what they'd mm-hmm. ask you. And you'd have to say, well,
1: <laughs> you know, well, uh, you a political system in place with lots of mandates where you're, yeah, you're yeah. forced to buy this Austrian bond at a hundred, hundred year Austrian bond. Yeah. It's pretty
0: wild. Um, it's crazy sober. world we're living in. Yeah. All right. So this next story here. Um, so we already kind of got into this with the nfts i guess but uh the, the marketplace OpenSea they crossed over a billion dollars in monthly volume um again i guess this goes to your point a little bit about just liquidity in this space in general if you look at the issuance like primary issuance of especially like art and collectible nfts versus gaming i mean there's just like a colossal amount of supply and like everything about this is screaming kind of local top like you can see it all over twitter people being like I'm like pausing work you know because this nft is dropping at this time and I like gotta get it as soon as it goes out um so to your point I'm not arguing with you I I think the liquidity is gonna dry up in in nfts uh probably also if you just look at I mean I think oh man I don't want to be wrong about this but I'm pretty sure like six months ago OpenSea was doing something like 13 million yeah or something and now they just crossed a billion I mean
1: it kind of is like,
0: yeah that, yeah, that can't be sustainable. That can't be sustainable.
1: Well, here's here's where, you know, on, on the relative bull side, if you're in this world where, you know, like Greg Foss says, monetary fiat is programmed to debase at an exponential rate from here. And you'll have spurts where it's not, but everything becomes a relative value play. And people are like, well, I'm not getting the growth rates I need to keep up with inflation just by, you know, investing in the S&P. And then you go into Bitcoin and that's like, you know, one step higher. And then you go into, you know, staking and then you go into, you know, yield farming. And then you go to NFTs and that's like steroids for for all this stuff. And the further, the further you go out, the less liquid it, it is. So, I don't know. I just... It makes me a, a, a little bit concerned but if we're just in this world where everything just gets crazier and crazier and crazier and they can't politically pull it out you know maybe we're just that's the new world i don't know i have no idea man i, have, I do want
0: to uh, correct myself by the way so in january of 2021 i just looked this up open seas volume was eight million per month um wow. so eight. freaking nuts man yeah Yeah. eight to over a billion uh in monthly revenue yeah Yeah, I mean it's hard to know right um and it it, like it doesn't seem like the dynamic that's been in play for the last 10 or 20 years seems as though it doesn't seem to be reversing yet right like the just the premium that investors are willing to pay for growth still seems to be there or at least the appearance of growth Mm -hmm. so I can totally understand the perspective of someone like hey it, you know, the very foundations of the monetary system seem to be in question, like you'd really like to be in some safe stuff, right? But also at the same time, I can totally see the argument for what we're really lacking here is structural growth. So investors will pay basically anything to get it. So you kind of want to be in these weird, these weird things. I I think I'm not a huge fan of people saying, hey, we're in this new paradigm, right? And maybe this is just the way it works now. I mean, people need to outline what they mean by that because if you if you think that we're moving to a paradigm where nothing matters and prices will go to the ceiling forever, like I just don't think humanity functions in a world like that. I think you still need rules. Uh I don't think we're abandoning reason here and shifting to a paradigm where nothing makes sense. Um,
1: well, and it happened in Weimar Republic.
0: I know, like, but do you think we're headed towards a Weimar Republic for No, man. I, I don't I don't think we are. I
1: mean, like 11 trillion and 8 trillion I'm not saying that they, their prices were doubling every hour or something like that in, yeah. in Germany I don't think we're there but like if we are on the path I think I think we're 100% on the path and like yeah. really going to be fascinating is the next time like if we do get the taper and a big pullback in the market happens politically what happens because if you have someone who's strong at the helm, that's like, no, we need this. We need to reset expectations and valuations and start real growth. Then, you know, I don't think I that's do- ever going to happen.
0: By the way, I don't think that's ever going to happen.
1: I don't so think anyone think be on the Weimar train.
0: But I think what will what I think is maybe a little bit of a bummer of a prediction, but like no one's going to make that decision without uh, cloud cover of something else happening. Like mm-hmm. you would need a bigger world event, right? Like bigger chaos and confusion. So yeah. when everyone's kind of focused on that, then you do this reset, right? Or something like that. But I don't think out of the blue, people are going to be like, hey, uh, it's gone too far. We're going to reset. Yeah. I just don't think anyone's going to make <laughs> a decision like that. I think you need some way to summon the political will, like the catalyst. Um, yeah. Change happens yeah, the
1: implicit- when there's enough pain
0: innovation happens one funeral at a time yeah that's slightly keep more. Just morbid, keep going right. with the quotes yeah keep going with the quotes baby keep going with the quotes yeah
1: <laughs> not uh, what happens, uh, exactly. it's how you react
0: <laughs> okay I'll yeah so you're God grant me that ah, no nah, that's too much all right um all right uh last last story here now it's gonna get this is a little bit more technical than we usually get but uh, I feel like this is an important one to talk about actually so layer one wars are starting to heat up uh, and as evidence of that, so Ava Labs they launch a 180 million dollar DeFi incentive program, that's for their uh, farming. Now the reason I, I wanted to call this out is I, I started to hear some smart people talk about this in in our space. There's a guy Avi Fellman, who's um, I forget is a portfolio manager, head of trading, or something over at Block Tower. He he started to mention this, uh, and basically you know, the, the narrative around smart contract platforms over the course of the last like, six to nine months has been it's all about layer two, right? So that people have been really focused on uh, EIP 1559 for Ethereum. And then they say, Oh, there's like Arbitrum and, and these scaling solutions sort of coming there. And everyone has kind of collectively forgot that there are actually um, competitor platforms, uh, competitor <laughs> smart contract platforms. Like, if you look at what's going on with uh, Solana, Luna, or Solana Terra, uh, Luna's the token. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I had a buddy of mine walk me through, uh, like two hours, um, how to yield farm, uh, spoiler alert, I will not be yield farming, uh, is relatively complicated and pretty time intensive. Uh, but you know, it, it was pretty unbelievable. Like his perspective was, you know, he's a big ETH bull, but at the same time he was like walking me through, uh, how to do everything on like the Solana side of things. He was like, the product is just phenomenal. Right. And honestly, transacting in, uh, Ethereum, like you see this all over the place now, but I had an experience where you know I'm just trying to move some money around, and you know, and I got thwacked you know, with with fees uh, for doing it. And you know, at a certain point, I'm like, I'm not really trying to make money here. I'm just trying to like you know uh, mess around. But like, you know, come on, this is completely unreasonable. Um, so I do just think that folks missed that there are. I think everyone just gave it to Ethereum that they won the the layer one smart contract platformers. By the way, Ethereum, a huge, huge fan of Ethereum. I don't, I'm not saying that um, I'm not advocating for any one particular platform here. I just think that this is an interesting dynamic to pay attention to. And if you're not looking at this in the space, I think you're missing something basically Mm -hmm. because it's all all about layer twos and everyone just skipped over layer ones, but I think it's going to be a bigger and bigger thing uh, moving forward.
1: You you know what? I I was reading Pomp's newsletter before that came out and it, it said, He said, historically, Bitcoin has had a transaction rate of seven transactions per second. Legacy solutions like Visa took 30 years to get to 40,000 transactions per per second. Lightning has the ability to scale to 100,000 transactions per second. So like even Bitcoin, you know, the Lightning Network is taking off too. So yeah. Yeah but not. Okay. Sorry.
0: I got to be honest about lightning. I don't understand it at all, man. (laughs) I don't understand.
1: It's really cheap, right? And you can do a lot of, a lot of transactions. But but what, but
0: like, I have no desire to spend Bitcoin. Why all of the narrative, everything is about saving it. You know, you got all these guys sailor, right? We talked about a million times doing that playbook, right? Like borrowing and depreciating fiat, using it to buy the Bitcoin. why dude why 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 would i want to be spending it why do i care about technology that helps me
1: huh it's like the u.s treasury of the digital asset ecosystem yeah this is where i just really man i
0: this is where i look i am so subscribed i am so bought in i full disclosure i own a bunch of bitcoin i'm a big believer in it but i'm like i want stuff that helps me save in bitcoin i want the opposite Mm -hmm. i want the opposite of what a lot of people are pushing And even like, honestly, even hearing like Coinbase, you know, they're like, oh, uh, you know, we've got these debit cards so you can spend your Bitcoin. It's like, why would I want to do that, dude? I actively (laughs) like buy it on a consistent basis so I can just hold it. Uh, I don't understand. I don't understand this. I, I, I really don't. Um, but, uh, you know,
1: yeah, I think I'm not trying
0: to hate on anything. It's just like, this is one that's never made a lot of sense. To me it runs very counter to my internal narrative about why i care about
1: bitcoin but i mean it's still impressive technology wise if if visa is doing forty thousand transactions per second and this is doing a hundred thousand like that's a a net efficiency yeah totally so that's totally. where i'm like okay if that can happen in bitcoin you know where maybe a transactional currency you know in digital assets that happens as well so i don't know
0: it's a really impressive project elizabeth stark is a super super impressive person honestly of all the people that i hear talk in this space literally anytime she talks i listen because she her knowledge of this it's incredible i i yeah
1: i don't know maybe i just don't get it what does solana look like like how is it so much different like the solana ecosystem
0: um i mean there's just a but so basically the way these these systems kind of work is right you have like these layer ones that applications will like work on top of, right? So Uniswap is a, it's a decentralized exchange that like primarily runs on, on ETH, right? So you're you're, it's kind of hard to explain, but you're in that ETH ecosystem, um, and there are bridges and stuff that are opening up between like uh, Avalanche, which is Ava Labs's protocol, and like Ethereum and stuff like that. But when you are on, when you're just moving around in the Solana ecosystem, it's just much quicker and much cheaper basically um and and I will say the counterpoint to this is there's a really great tweet um I think this was a Reddit thread but this is the guy who tweeted it and basically talking about the Nakamoto Coefficient which is the minimum number of validators that can collude to shut down a network so and he lists all these all these chains here right so Avalanche it's 26 uh need to collaborate and that's out of a total of 1001 solana 18 need to collaborate out of a total of 849 thor chain 10 out of 37 binance smart chain seven out of 20 terra it's seven out of 130 and the list goes on and on for polygon it's literally two out of 100. um so uh, you know he's interested he said why no data for ethereum you might find sources that say that eth2 has over 200,000 validators far more than any other network however this is misleading uh, because basically each validator just represents a 32 ETH deposit, um, so it's, it's a little bit more complicated for ETH. Uh, I think ETH is no no one saying that that's not secure. Although I guess there was a split today, which, be honest, don't mm-hmm. know what that means. Um, so I guess we'll see uh, what's good there. Yeah. Um, Price doesn't so moving. do not seem to mind, does it? <laughs> no, it does not. Um, so I guess overall, you know, the the criticism, right, that you're basically like a lot of smart people have said this in the beginning you make design choices with this stuff you can't have it all right so if you want that decentralization I personally I'm more comfortable with eth because I feel like the decentralization gives a level of security that I just appreciate uh with this stuff um but that being said it is it's cumbersome to to work in that ecosystem now compared to something like Solana and maybe one of these you know one of these layer ones ends up getting you know, seriously disrupted. If there's a successful attack on it, maybe we'll feel differently. But yeah. it's worth looking into. It's just a development that I think is worth flagging. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And if anyone out there isn't yield farming, what a crazy world that is. Absolutely <laughs> wild. wild. Um, so last thing I think that's kind of interesting to point out here, uh, taking a big departure. Uh, so talking a little bit about the Taliban. Um, so the Taliban tried to get their hands on the Afghan central bank's nearly $10 billion in reserves, but most of that money is in New York. And guess what? They might not be able to get it. So, you know, this is a really, I think a lot of these issues are really interesting because they do tend to play out on the fringes. I'm not sitting here saying it's a travesty that the Taliban can't get access to funds, right? I'm not, but but it is interesting, right, that someone has the power and you Better believe that when they can't get access to those funds, other countries are being like, "Hmm, that's a possibility for yeah. me, right?" Um, they're looking at that, saying, "Hmm, that could happen to me." And interestingly, too, uh, you know, this OnlyFans thing, this story that you begged to talk about uh, in last week's roundup, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah uh, it got reversed, and uh, and um, yeah. they're bringing explicit uh, content back onto the platform. And, Guys, you can thank Tyler. Tyler told me he made at least 50 calls to his senator uh, complaining about this.
1: <laughs> you got to throw me under the bus in my life. <laughs> uh,
0: sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. messing job. Uh, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, these are all, like, what's interesting is that however this happens, be it by design or whatever, a lot of these power struggles do tend to first get manifested on the on the fringes and and around actors who you don't necessarily have a lot of sympathy for, right? So it's guns or it's tobacco or it's payday lending or it's porn mm-hmm. or it's the freaking Taliban and nobody's gonna cry for them. But these are important issues and they show you where power is really located.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think they're kind of like built off porn in general. Like, well, still it? is
0: thirty percent of the traffic. By
1: the yeah, way. I mean that's that's the craziest thing. So like, I it's the stuff that no one wants to talk about, which is like this type of stuff. And mm-hmm. that tends to to play out. Like you said, like we got, you got to pay attention to this, this stuff for the future. So even though no one talks about it, I agree. Yeah, I agree.
0: All right, man. Well, yeah. that about wraps it up for the
1: show. All right. All right, bud. Final one. Miss going to miss you, buddy. Going to miss w- you. Wish the best, w- best for you. Uh, Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley fight on Sunday. What, what is this is this,
0: I, I didn't know that was happening uh didn't know that was happening
1: yeah uh, i didn't get work. your sports reference before we're watching okay. rome this is rome this is like uh you know the circus like the, oh, i thought you were actually talking about social media fighting like basically it's like jake paul's this like youtube star this social yeah media
0: i fan. i know jake paul i've seen i've i've like seeing the highlights of his fights, I get him and Logan Paul mixed up. Are they they're brothers?
1: They're right? brothers, but like, okay, you know, you should be teaching me this. Being you know, older millennial, but anyway, so I think I, we're almost watching Z. This, this this watching these stupid fights happen. I mean, like we watched Floyd Mayweather fight Logan Paul like a month or two ago, and now you know Jake Paul is fighting Tyrone Woodley, who's an MMA. Yeah fighter and i'm like this is exactly what rome did like it's <laughs> just crazy you know circuses
0: coliseums and- bread and yeah. circuses baby bread and circuses
1: that's what it is it's is what it is keep it that being mind. said
0: you know yeah. i watched the manny pacquiao floyd mayweather fight like six years ago or five years yeah. ago that was brutal yeah. no dude it was awful it was like you know going like this and they're hugging and it's like come on punch them yeah. you know punch them <laughs>
1: <him. I went. laughs>
0: see that a little bit of that Ooh, yeah, yeah. loose baby yeah. roy jones jr in here have you ever watched roy jones jr his highlights
1: oh yeah oh so, man
0: if you ever want to watch like a swaggy boxer roy jones jr is uh he's a favorite of all time
1: he, he was um, something else yeah
0: he literally he'll do he'll like put his hands behind his back and then dodge with his head it's like
1: yeah it's, I, so, it's operating actually, on a different level. I actually watched him fight, fight Mike Tyson when Mike Tyson did the comeback. It was like a couple months no ago. No way. Really? It, was, <laughs> it was pretty sad watching those two. two oh, movies. really? Oh, God. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I still have this picture of Mike Tyson being like this like animal and, and Roy Jones Jr. being this like fast, you know, quick, and they were both just slow as paint trying to like, stay in the way. Let, let me ask
0: you, Mike Tyson in his prime, Mike Tyson in his prime, how much would you have to get paid to get punched in the face by mike tyson oh. keeping in mind that you
1: would i get literally we would like I no. Don't have to
0: no 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 you have to go like this on? yeah straight punch to the face i don't know
1: Pro- probably a billion he'd probably kill me
0: <laughs> i was gonna say i i mean i think i could die yeah i think he yeah. could literally kill me like if you yeah. gave me like
1: if you just hit me like right here turn my lights out, then I, maybe I'd be okay. But I don't want to mess up this the moneymaker, bro. <laughs> this nose? Come on. <laughs> moneymaker. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Yeah.
0: All right. I <laughs> I mean, I had the same thought as you. I was like, yeah, I, you know, you watch these old fights of him and he's like, what would my face look like post uh, a Mike Tyson punch?
1: Oh, God. Yeah.
0: I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm not built to withstand that, you know? <laughs> I have <laughs> not built to withstand that. I'm a loving non fighter. Yeah, I'm a loving non fighter,
1: baby. By the way, great um, great action photos of Mike uh, from Bretton Woods golfing. Like yeah, yeah. Awesome yeah. Out there.
0: It's like one of the better photos, I think, uh, ever taken. I mean, I'm proud of that photo. Yeah, so like on go,
1: go on. To- cover of some, like, you know, real Washington <laughs> magazine, like Greenwich Weekly. <laughs> Greenwich Weekly—that's the dream.
0: That's the dream, Greenwich. Yeah, I know. With the like the backswing, you know, the club.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, Greenwich
0: Weekly. Yeah, I know. Well, a boy can dream. All right, Tyler. Um, It's been—it's been real, my friend. I'm sure we're gonna have you back on here at some point. Uh, And everyone, stay tuned. Uh, Got a new co-host coming at you next week. No one can replace Tyler, but. Gonna be pretty cool too. So,
1: I think you're gonna be I'll in miss- good, good hands, better hands. You'll learn way more from this together than me. Yeah. But I have a better of yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and you got the money maker. It's on uh, <laughs> <laughs> un- messed up by Mike
1: Tyson. All right, cool. Catch you, buddy. It. Take care.